Hey everyone, I'm Meg Teets, and this is Sorta Awesome. Welcome back, Awesomes. You are listening to the show that is all about helping you be smart, strong, and social. We are in your earbuds every single week with all the awesome that you need to know. And you can find us on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show or over on Facebook in our Sorta Awesome Hangout group. This is episode 221 of Sorta Awesome. I just want to give a big shout out and a nice big squeeze, a nice big consensual squeeze to all of our sort of awesome superstars. Now, you guys may know that our superstars are the awesomes who support this show every month at just $5 over on Patreon. When you sign up to be a superstar, you get access to hours and hours of sort of awesome episodes that we have never released to the public. It is where we have been discussing things like religion and mental health, marriage, all kinds of stuff. You get access also to our exclusive Facebook group. It's just like the sort of awesome hangout, only much smaller, much more personal, and therefore a little bit more awesome. Lately, our superstars have also been enjoying ad-free episodes of sort of awesome. But really, the biggest reason of all to become a superstar, of course, is to vote with your dollars to say that you believe in the mission and the message of Sorta Awesome. And you know our mission and our message is to encourage every single awesome out there to be the awesome that the world needs right now. So if you have been thinking about signing up to become a superstar, now is a great time to do that. You can find out everything you need to know over at SortaAwesomeShow.com slash support. Well, this is episode 221 of Sorta Awesome, like I said. I'm joined today by two delightful people. One of them is asleep in a baby carrier on my chest. (laughs) Nico is with me. He's snoozing. You might be able to hear some little baby snores while I talk with the other person I'm so excited to have here with me today, and that is my sister, Emily. Emily, welcome back to the show. Hi, Meg. Hi, Awesomes. I'm so excited that I get to watch a sleeping baby while I talk to you. I think you may actually be more excited about that part than recording this episode. (laughs) I don't blame you. Nico's pretty cute, especially when he's snoozing away. Yes. You guys know that Emily is a regular around here, and she's also a middle school art teacher, a longtime veteran teacher, and she's taking a little bit of time out of her busy, busy schedule to come and join me today because you guys, we are just days away from a major holiday here in the United States. And that is Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, of course, is a time for family and food. So I thought, you know what? It's the perfect time to bring family to the show to talk about food. (laughs) I love food. You know this. I love talking about food. I know. We talk about food a lot in our off mic lives, don't we? Yes, we sure do. Whether it's like sharing recipes or texting each other, like, what do you think I should do about this? You guys know I have this lifelong problem where I don't like to cook raw chicken. I've been doing better about that. Another thing that I'm really, really, really bad at is cooking potatoes of any kind. So I will sometimes ask Emily questions about that because she's far better at potatoes. Like my potatoes always come out undercooked like every time. How? Huh. Weird. I've got problems. Well, maybe some things that I share will help you. Emily and I are going to be talking all about Thanksgiving. We're going to kind of frame this whole discussion by talking about maybe Thanksgiving then and now. So obviously, we're sisters. We've shared many a Thanksgiving together. So we are going to share with you all the Thanksgiving recipes that we grew up on. And then we're going to talk about some little, I don't know if I want to say like upgrades or maybe like tweaks to the Thanksgiving menu that we do now, as opposed to when we were growing up, we're just going to throw some recipes out there, along with some Thanksgiving memories, all of that stuff. Emily is far better in the cooking department than I am. In fact, you all know that my husband, Kyle, does most of the cooking around here. (laughs) (laughs) He sure does. But that's not to say that you can't cook. Like You are a very well-versed cook, but... Kyle has, over the years, kind of taken over the kitchen. He has. And it's because, I mean, 
I'm proficient. Like I can, here's the thing. I can follow a recipe. So if you give me a recipe, I can probably execute it okay, unless it involves potatoes, white potatoes particularly. (laughs) I'm probably going to mess that up. But Kyle is an innovator and he can just walk into any kitchen and look in the fridge and look in the pantry and be like, all right, here's what we're going to do. It's kind of like chopped, only no gross ingredients usually. Right, right. Kyle is like me in that he doesn't like recipes. No, he does not. In fact, if you try to pin him down for a recipe, he's like, I don't know. I just kind of just yes. like put the stuff together and I just cook I just it. Just do it. Just do it. So anyway, we're going to be talking all Thanksgiving food today. Now I know our Canadian awesomes, you guys have already had your Thanksgiving and our international awesomes may or may not be celebrating any kind of Thanksgiving type feast right now, but hopefully this will give you some you know, recipe inspiration for year round. I mean, especially as we are in these cold weather months, these are certainly things that you can pull out any time of year. Although some of them are definitely, definitely for me, like they are Thanksgiving only foods. So right, we're going to get to all of that here in just a few minutes. But first, Emily, let's go ahead and start this show the way we always do with our awesomes of the week. It's that moment in the show where we talk about the books, TV shows, movies, podcasts, products, whatever it is that's making life, well, a little more awesome right now. So I can't wait to hear what you've brought for the show this week. All right. So my awesome of the week is a podcast. Mm -hmm. And I had, I don't know, heard about this podcast, but I don't know why I never listened to it. And I was searching because like I have so, well, like you, I have so many podcasts that I listen to and I'm caught up on so many of them. And I don't even know, I think I was reading online about this podcast and I was like, how come I have never listened to this show? The name of the show is called Last Podcast on the Left. Have you heard of it? I have heard of this. I know that people that are fans of the show are like really big fans of it. I personally have never listened to it. I actually don't even really know what it's about. I don't know if it's about politics. I guess I thought it was about politics because it talks about on the left. Oh, it's not about no, it's not at all. It's almost like, you know, like the last house on the left, oh, you know, it's like scary stuff. Yeah. But they cover a wide variety of things. So they cover like paranormal stuff. They talk about Bigfoot a lot, like in a joking way. This is weird, but they talk about some of my favorite serial killers. Oh <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a weird sentence to say. I know it's so weird. So there's three hosts. It is Ben Kissel, Marcus Parks, and Henry Zabrowski. They are hilarious. Now, I did not, when I started listening to them last week, I didn't start at the beginning. I just started at like a show that interested me about Israel Keys, which is a pretty prolific serial killer that I have become obsessed with. So I just went right in. Oh, my gosh, Megan, these guys are hilarious. They are so funny. Okay. I love a hilarious podcast, as you know. Yes. And they all three have such great chemistry. Ben Kissel, he's the one that kind of like tells the story of what they're talking about. And then Marcus and Henry are like the funny ones and the ones that are just like so goofy and so, you know, just totally out there. They are hilarious. It's like a podcast that I've never listened to. Like they go to places that like no one else does. (laughs) Like they're just goofy guys. They're just hilarious. It's so funny. I am getting tickled just watching you talk about it because you are obviously super, super into this. I can tell by the smile on your face right now. Yes, they are hilarious. Now, I will tell you that their show is not for the faint of heart. It's definitely an adult show. There's a lot of language, which doesn't bother me at all. There's a lot of color language and topics that they talk about in the regular. So be warned. But I love it. They are hilarious. They talk about just all kinds of stuff. So it sounds like it's about like the content part is about kind of creepy things, whether it is, like you said, serial killers or maybe urban legends or, you know, just spooky stuff. But their take on it is hilarity. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like they'll take a really serious, (laughs) they'll take a really serious topic. For example, Israel Keys and... Well, the whole story about Israel Keys is like crazy and weird and it's insane. But yeah, they turn it into like this entertainment. It's funny. It's just weird. And also 
side note, Marcus Parks, he went to college in Lubbock. He went to Texas Tech Ah, and talks about his time in Texas a lot. So that's kind of cool. So yes, yes. Emily is a long time Texas resident. I mean, a Texas native like me and that we were both born in Houston, but you have by far logged the most years there. Right, right. Okay, good to know. I only know who Israel Keys is because of True Crime Obsessed, our other favorite shared podcast that we both adore. Yes, I would say that to call him a prolific serial killer is probably the easiest way to describe that situation. Well, I feel like he's the serial killer that no one ever talks about. Like anytime I talk to a true crime, you know, fan that's like one of my friends, they're like, I've never heard of him, but oh my goodness, yeah. I don't know why that is. Maybe he just hasn't gained the quote unquote notoriety. Notoriety. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So that's last podcast on the left. We will put a link in the show notes. And if any of you awesomes who are listening are longtime fans of that show, we want to hear from you. I'm sure Emily would love to bond with you over her newfound podcast obsession. Absolutely. As it turns out, and I did not tell you this, my awesome of the week this week is also a podcast. Okay. <laughs> Let's hear it. This is a surprise to no one. I bring it's probably not good for business. You know, I bring so many other <laughs> podcasts. Sort of awesome. Hey, listen to this podcast instead of ours. No, just kidding. Please listen to Sort of Awesome first, you guys. Yes, yes. <laughs> and then go follow our rabbit trail through the show notes. This, however, unlike last podcast on the left, which I think is an ongoing show, like a weekly show, it sounds like, that's been going on for a while. Yeah. This is a limited series, which I love a limited series because you tune in, you listen through, and then it's done. So this is one that so many people have been telling me I had to go listen to. I finally did. I love it. It's Dolly Parton's America. Have you heard the buzz around this? Okay. It's produced by WNYC Studios. It's hosted by Jad Abumrad, and he is the creator of Radiolab and More Perfect, which are some really fantastic standout podcasts that, I mean, Radiolab has been around for a long time. It is a deep dive into the person and the phenomenon that is Dolly Parton. Now, Emily, you and I grew up in Oklahoma. We grew up on country and Western music, certainly starting even back in the 1980s. So Dolly Parton is no stranger to us. And the whole premise of this podcast, again, it's a limited series. It's a nine-part podcast series. And I think five of them are out right now as we are recording. I think there's a new one that'll drop this week. So it's coming near the end of this series. But the whole premise is, is that so many people from so many segments of our culture love Dolly Parton. Whether you, you know, like me and you grew up in small towns where country and Western music was on the radio, wherever you went, or, you know, everyone to like drag queens, to people in the Pacific Northwest. Like there's just like so many people have so much love and affection for Dolly Parton. Old people, young people, across any kind of way that you identify, you're going to find somebody who loves Dolly Parton. Well, she's an icon, I feel like, in American history. Like she's such an icon. There's no one that doesn't like her. Absolutely. Absolutely. So this podcast is like, why? What is it about Dolly Parton that everybody adores? And so it starts with her beginnings. Did you know that she started recording albums in the late 1960s? No. She's like 73 years old and she looks amazing. She does. There's our actual one-on-one interviews with her, which are fantastic, but then also interviewing people that were around her, people who have written about her. They talk about Dollywood, her, you know, sort of like amusement park situation, all of the things. Like, I don't know. There's just so much good stuff in this. And if you have even ever had a passing interest in Dolly Parton, I highly, highly, highly recommend it. They do a fantastic job of incorporating things like women's issues, women in music, politics. I just so much stuff, but it's all with this like touch point of Dolly Parton and who she was and how she spoke to people in these different decades and to different parts of our culture. I just can't say enough good things about it. And like I said, it's a limited series. So, you know, while you're cooking up your Thanksgiving or traveling for Thanksgiving, you could tune in. It's not quite over yet, but you could get a really good start on 
the series in the days that you have coming up with the holiday. So anyway, it's Dolly Parton's America. I'll put a link in the show notes and it is well and truly awesome. So can I ask you a question about that? Do you think the reason why people like her so much is because she's just so genuine? Like what you see is what you get oh, with absolutely. Her. And she's so self-effacing and so self-aware and doesn't mind making jokes about herself, but she's also extremely mega talented and I think just her complete approachability and relatability. I think that's a huge part of it. So we had two podcast recommendations for you this week. We'll put those in the show notes. You know that Every Friday, we like to hear what's awesome in your life. So if you haven't, we would love to have you join us over on Instagram. We have lots of people, lots of awesomes who are Instagram only for their social media. So every Friday morning, we're asking you what's awesome in your life. Awesome this week over on Instagram. And you can do that as well in our sort of awesome hangout group. If you haven't joined us over there, we would love to have you at facebook.com slash groups slash sort of awesome hangout. All right, Emily, let's do a big old deep dive. Let's roll up our sleeves, find our aprons. You wear an apron when you cook? Heck no, I do not wear an apron when I cook. Nope. I don't even own one. (laughs) Can I tell you that Kyle totally does? Oh, I'm sure he does. He's a serious cook, so he is allowed to wear an apron. He's a serious cook, but he has a red and white polka dot apron that is his favorite. (laughs) Oh, that's so cute. We're going to do this big deep dive into Thanksgiving. So let's start with just before we set the table, let's kind of set the stage a little about what Thanksgiving was like when we were growing up. So you and I come from a family with four kids. I'm the oldest and you're next. And then we have a younger brother and a younger sister. So we also moved around quite a bit when we were growing up. Every three to four years, we would move to a different community. Most of our growing up, though, took place in Oklahoma. So as I recall, some years it would be just our family, just our family of six celebrating. Some years we would travel up to Kansas City to our maternal grandmother and grandfather's home. And then sometimes we would go to different family members' houses. Our family that lived in Wichita, Kansas, we would sometimes go visit. So it just kind of depended on what was going on that year, right? Does that seem right? Yeah, that seems right. Yes. Here's the thing about Emily and I. (laughs) Emily, as a typical introvert, has a really, really, really good long-term memory. And I am such a classic extrovert. We don't do well with long-term memories. You don't have any long-term memory at all. (laughs) Like sometimes when I bring stuff up that happened, you're like, I don't believe that that really happened. (laughs) Well, sometimes I say I don't believe that. But then sometimes I'm like, I don't remember that happening, but I do believe you that it happened. That's true. That's true. (laughs) So anyway, what were some of your favorite like Thanksgiving, just like where we were memories from when we were growing up? Well, honestly, I think that when we went to grandma and grandpa's house, I think some of those Thanksgivings were some of the most memorable just because times at, you know, any time, summer, Thanksgiving, Christmas at grandma and grandpa's house was just the bet. And we didn't even realize, you know, at the time, but now that we're older, it's like those memories are just like so dear. And our aunt and uncle at the time, just outside of Wichita, where they live, they had a cabin. We called it the farm, even though they didn't have any animals, but we just called it the farm and they had this beautiful, beautiful cabin. And I remember one Thanksgiving, we had Thanksgiving there and it was just perfect. The weather was perfect. The food was perfect. And that was probably one of my favorite Thanksgivings. Yeah, totally, totally true. I agree with you. The Thanksgivings that we spent at our grandparents' house in Kansas City, those were really wonderful. Our grandparents have passed away a number of years ago. So we do have those memories to hang on to, though. Those were always so wonderful. And I think a lot of our recipes genuinely started with our grandmother. Oh, yeah. And she passed them on to our mom and aunt, and then they would make them. And so they're definitely time-honored family traditions for us. Yes. So, yeah, that was always fun. And, of course, it was definitely the big kickoff to holiday season for sure. Right. Yeah. So let's talk food. Okay. At the center of our Thanksgiving menu, the way I remember it, now you correct me if I'm wrong, because many times you're like, um, girl, no, I don't know what you're remembering. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. 
But I feel like every time we had Thanksgiving when we were growing up, that it was the main entree was always, always turkey. Yes. Does that feel right to you? It does feel right to me. I just don't ever remember who cooked it. Well, that's interesting. (laughs) It wasn't us. (laughs) It was not us at all. When you're a kid, you don't even know. It just appears on the table, fully cooked in. Dinner's ready. Come eat it. (laughs) Yeah, basically. (laughs) Basically. I do think, though, that we came from like such a traditional turkey family that it was always like an oven roasted turkey. There was no like turkey in the deep fryer or any kind of we never deviated from the get a big old turkey and roast it in the oven for hours kind of situation. Okay, so Emily, true or false, you cannot have Thanksgiving dinner without turkey. (laughs) Well, growing up, that was true. Do you think that's true today, though? No, not at all. Are you a turkey purist when it comes to Thanksgiving dinner? Like, do you feel like... What do you mean by turkey purist? Do you feel like there has to be some kind of turkey prepared some way for Thanksgiving? Or do you feel like you can go off script a little bit? Oh, totally go off script. Okay. This is interesting to me because when we are able to gather, at least with our parents, sometimes with our youngest sister, there are people in our family who, Emily, they are like insistent. It's not Thanksgiving without turkey. (laughs) Yeah. They use that tone of voice too. It's very (laughs) off-putting. Oh, wait, can I tell you something, though? I'm jumping ahead. I'm totally jumping ahead. Your husband hates turkey. This is where I was driving this train. Yes. He hates turkey, but I'm telling you this and I'm being serious. When he makes turkey, it does not taste like turkey. It tastes like chicken in a good way. He has made it so many ways. He's probably made it 10 different ways. And whenever he makes it, it tastes so good. It doesn't taste like just a roasted turkey from the oven. I don't know what he does, but he makes it taste so good that if Kyle makes turkey, I will eat it. Now, interesting. Yeah, but no, I am not a purist. If I can go to a Thanksgiving dinner without turkey, I am totally fine with that. Here's where I was going with this because, yes, you are right. Kyle absolutely super 1000% hates turkey. In fact, like I would say he hates it more than any other kind of like main protein food that you would ever eat throughout the year. He just hates it. So in past years, starting when we got married, and especially like when we were newlyweds and back when Kyle was coaching sometimes, well, actually when Kyle was coaching, we would have like little mini Thanksgiving. Sometimes his parents would drive down. This was when we lived in Texas. Because he was coaching, it was still a work week for him. So we would host various times. And we would be like completely off script with our Thanksgiving dinner. We would have like steak and baked potatoes. One year, I know for a fact we had a big Italian, like not a slice of turkey to be seen. It was like lasagna and garlic bread and all of that stuff. Just completely no turkey. (laughs) And then sometimes when we have hosted our family here, in Oklahoma City for Thanksgiving and Kyle has cooked. He's been like, we'll have turkey, but I'm going to make a turkey gumbo. <laughs> yes. And I've had that and it was so good. Yes. So good. Yeah. So it's just so funny because growing up, so Thanksgiving then we had the, you know, sort of Norman Rockwell yes. picture of the Thanksgiving dinner with the big oven roasted turkey at the center of the table. And it's so funny because we pretty quickly, once we had control of the menu, we're like, "Mm, let's do something different. Right, right. (laughs) So anyway, I was telling you this earlier as we were talking about the show. It's so funny because I actually feel, I have completely neutral feelings about turkey. (laughs) If I'm served turkey, it's like, okay, that's fine, whatever. If there's no turkey, I'm like, also fine. Also not caring right now. (laughs) I do have to say, though, when it comes to those, that wonderful experience that is Thanksgiving leftovers, and you've got some of the cold leftover turkey, and you throw some cranberry sauce on there. I don't know. There's just something pretty magical about that. So, Or a next day turkey sandwich. That I cannot pass up. Yeah, that's never a bad thing. 
Yes. Speaking of cranberry sauce, this is not on our list to discuss, but I do want to throw out the fact that when we were growing up, <laughs> whether we were at our grandparents' house, at our aunt and uncle's, or just our family, <laughs> our cranberry sauce was the kind that came from the can, like literally straight out of the can, nothing done to it. Still had the can indentions the jelly. on it. Yes. The yes. gelled and cranberry sauce. Emily, I was probably in college before I even knew that there was anything else that you could eat that was called cranberry sauce that was not straight from the can, still with the indentions on it. I don't know if you remember this, but I want to say it was like two years ago. Kyle actually did cook like a traditional turkey in some way. And I realized that there wasn't going to be the canned cranberry sauce. So I went out and got some. And you and Kyle were like, you are gross. And you're going to be the only one eating that. And you know who ate it with me? Were the twins. Oh my gosh. The twins loved it. And all three of us ate it. And it was delicious. And I remember that. I love it. I don't know if it's the nostalgia of it, but like, I love the canned cranberry sauce. It's so true. I do remember that because Kyle has actually made cranberry sauce like when you buy like the fresh cranberries and, you know, like do like a nice fancy recipe or whatever. But I do remember that Thanksgiving because you were here and you're like, we don't have cranberry sauce. And we were like, no. And you were like, what grocery store is open? I got to go. Yep. (laughs) Some cranberry sauce. Sure did. Sure did do it. (laughs) And the twins were like, we like this. (laughs) Hilarious. Okay. So let's go back again. Another Thanksgiving then. That was always part of Thanksgiving menu for us was stuffing. But Emily, we were not. <laughs> You're making a face. You don't like stuffing. I don't like stovetop. Well, I was going to say we were not highbrow. We absolutely had stovetop stuffing. The brand stovetop stuffing, like just the box mix that you mix up and you just go for it. But you're saying that's a big thumbs down for you now. Yes. And I think that's the one thing that dad made because it was so easy to make. It's like you literally boil water. I know. You pour the stuff in. Yes. And then you just like let it sit. And then the magic of chemistry and whatever happens in there, probably all kinds of chemicals and additives that we don't even know about. It just like turns itself into stuffing. So you're not a fan though. I am not a fan. In fact, you know, I make the homemade cornbread dressing now. Yeah. You do. I mean, I'm just going to be super honest. I'm just not a big stuffing fan in general. In fact, if we're going to have stuffing, I kind of like the stovetop kind. Okay. And that's okay. <laughs> that's your prerogative. Yeah. It may just be like the flavor additives or something. Or again, I think it actually may be the nostalgia, like yes. the youth and the canned cranberry sauce. To me, it just tastes like being a kid again and having this like hyper palatable, totally convenience food stuffing. I just really like it. And I've had some really lovely delicious homemade stuffings that either you or somebody has spent a lot of time on and like really put the hard work and effort into. And I'm like, that was fine, but I could eat some stovetop right now. You like the box stuff and that's okay. Now, one thing we haven't done stuffing in a while, although you do have a recipe for a really great one, but you're kind of like, Hey, maybe we could try some mac and cheese on the side. Yes. Tell me about your mac and cheese revelation when it comes to Thanksgiving dinner. Okay. So as you know that I've been experimenting more with what I like to call intermediate cooking. Yes. Mm-hmm. I was very far from a professional. But a couple months ago, one of our family relatives was staying the weekend with me and she wanted chicken spaghetti. And chicken spaghetti calls for Velveeta and I hate Velveeta. <laughs> So I decided to make it a little bit differently using a Mornay sauce. Do you know what a Mornay sauce is? I do not. So a Mornay sauce is basically a bechamel sauce with cheese put into it. What's a bechamel sauce? Okay. (laughs) Let's start at the beginning. A bechamel sauce is one of the, I think, five mother sauces. Okay. And it sounds intimidating, but it's really not... Basically, you start out by making a roux. Okay. And what you do is you melt some butter in a saucepan on low. And then once all that's melted, you add some flour and you stir the heck out of it. There's like so many ways to make a roux. The roux that I'm talking about is a white roux. 
Oh, oh, so it's not yes. cuts down very much, right? Well, okay, Kyle makes ruse a lot. Even if he's just like cooking up some vegetables to go into a side dish, he'll start him out in a roux and he like talks about there being different shades of color. Yes. Because he'll yes. be like, should we go with like a peanut butter roux? It's not actual peanut butter, but it's the color of peanut butter. Or do you want to go darker? And so I'm wondering if you're making a white roux, does that mean that it has not cooked down to that like peanut butter consistency? Is it color that we're talking about? I would say it's probably a medium beige. I don't really know. But anyways, you stir it constantly. Basically, you're just trying to get that raw flour taste out of the butter and the flour mixture. And then you add, well, I add warm milk to it. I bring it up to a boil and then I let it simmer. And as it simmers, it thickens. And so there's your bechamel sauce. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. So that's the basic of a bechamel sauce. And then once you add your cheeses, that becomes your Mornay sauce. Okay. Okay. Now, there are like so many ways to... You can make a Mornay sauce with like just a ton, a ton of cheeses. The cheeses that I put in, and you can experiment. I've experimented quite a lot with my Mornay sauce. I use three cheeses. I shred them all. Like I don't buy bagged shredded cheese just because it's got that stuff on there that like coats it so it doesn't stick together. But I buy blocks of cheese and then I shred it myself. So I'll use like a medium cheddar, shred that. I will get like just white American from the deli, like sliced white American from the deli. And then I'll just break it up into pieces. And then I use mozzarella for that nice, like stringy, gooey aspect. And so I add those cheeses in little by little, you know, one at a time. Another cheese that I can use I don't use it very often as the Havarti. Oh, I love Havarti. Yes. And that adds a lot of flavor as well. And so I'll add those in slowly. And then you've got this beautiful cheese sauce. And then you can do one of two things. You can cook your pasta, your noodles to like just before the al dente and, you know, put them in a pan, cover them with the sauce and then bake it. Or you can cook your pasta to the al dente, you know, phase or whatever, and then just put the cheese on and then you don't have to bake it at all. So it's a gooey, wonderful, carby deliciousness. That sounds amazing. Do you have a recipe for us? I do. Okay. Well, we're going to put it in the show notes. So yes. if you guys are like, I would like to serve that at my next Thanksgiving feast. Yes. We will hook you up with the recipe. While we're talking about mac and cheese, I have to say two things. First of all, we did a flash poll in the Sort of Awesome Hangout because I was curious how many people would consider mac and cheese to be part of their Thanksgiving menu. Of course, there is a big divide in whether or not you're from the American South. If you are, there's a pretty good chance that you either grew up with mac and cheese as a Thanksgiving side, or maybe you live there now and now you're like, okay, I'm in the South. I guess we do mac and cheese for Thanksgiving. Somebody called mac and cheese a Southern vegetable. <laughs> right, right. But most people were like, no, you cannot have mac and cheese at Thanksgiving. That doesn't belong on the menu. It's a year round food, but it's not a Thanksgiving food. But there's a big divide, I think, because it is such an American South tradition to have a good mac and cheese. Of course, we're not talking about craft or Annie's Organic, or anything like that. We're talking about the good, like you just described, with the cheese sauce and all of that. And it's so interesting to me that you mentioned those two like French-based sauces that you start with, because I have to tell you guys, based on one of our awesome suggestions in that thread in the Hangout group, Awesome Amanda said, you have got to go listen to this episode of the podcast, The Sporkful. Dan Pashman hosts it. It's a food and culture podcast. And in October, they did a two-part series, actually, about this idea of plantation food. And the first part is talks to white people and really focuses on the white experience of the word plantation and why people still use plantation and the, describing their recipes or their restaurants or whatever. But the second episode is called When Black Chefs Created Plantation Food. 
And it really focuses on the story of James Hemmings, who was the brother of Sally Hemmings, who we know from history was Thomas Jefferson's long time. He had the long term. We don't really want to call it a relationship because of the power dynamic there with him being the slave owner and her being an enslaved person anyway. The longtime connection that was there. Anyway, Sally Hemings' brother, James, was the head chef at Monticello. And when Thomas Jefferson was sent to France for five years by George Washington, he took James Hemings with him and had him trained, classically trained, in French cooking. And so when they returned back to Virginia, James Hemings is the one who brought like mac and cheese. Like if you've ever had macaroni and cheese as an American and thought, I love mac and cheese, you have this enslaved person, James Hemings, to thank for it because he brought it really to Monticello and it really, you know, expanded outward from there. But it was this idea of taking it instead of the British way of cooking cheese and pasta, it brought in these French sauces like you were just describing Anyway, this is not a very long episode. I'm going to put a link in the show notes because it is super, super fascinating to listen to and I highly recommend it. So that is so interesting. And just to go back to like the process that I was describing, it sounds extremely intimidating. It's not at all. There are many, many, many YouTube. That's how I like learned how to do it because when you do it the first time, it's a little scary. But if you watch enough YouTube videos like I did, it's not really as hard as it seems to be. Yeah, when you're trying to describe it, that makes sense. Okay, so that was one side. In the past, we did a little stovetop stuffing. Don't try right. to stuff that to Emily. She'll make an ugly face at you. <laughs> and evidently, Nico doesn't like it either. <laughs> no, it's like, do not try to serve me stovetop stuffing. Give me that French mac and cheese. And I will be happy. The twins cannot wait. And I mean, cannot wait for the day that Nico can eat regular food. Oh, I'm sure. Me, like every day. <laughs> can Nico have food yet? For some reason, I'm an idiot. When Nico was born in June and they kept asking me, like, can Nico, he was not a newborn. They were asking, can he eat food like we do? I was like, maybe like around Christmas. Cause I was like, he'll be six months then. So now they like have it cemented in their mind that at Christmas, <laughs> Nico, <laughs> he can have all the food. We'll just serve him a plate at Christmas and he'll dig in like the rest of us. That is hilarious. <laughs> okay. So speaking of side dishes, another one that was a perennial favorite that we really only had at Thanksgiving and our family growing up was our mother's sweet potato casserole. Now, this is one that was, you know, lots and lots of families. I wonder, this is another one that I wonder if this was more Southern based, although you know, our mom grew up in Kansas. It's not exactly the South. So maybe it's a Midwestern favorite. I don't know. I will tell you that that was not originally mom's recipe. That was oh, really? a recipe from our friends in Sulphur that we got, you know, the family friends in Sulphur. She got it from her. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So maybe in Oklahoma, in Oklahoma is this weird geographical oddity. We don't really belong to the South or the Midwest or the Southwest. We're just kind of our, doing our own thing over here. Anyway, the way that our mother did sweet potato casserole, it was much less a vegetable side dish and more, it honestly could be a dessert. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so I found a recipe on my recipes for traditional sweet potato casserole. And I was like, oh, this is exactly it. Okay. So obviously it starts with sweet potatoes, which you could totally buy and cook yourself, or you could just open up some cans of yams. <laughs> I feel like that's probably what we did. It has brown sugar and butter and chopped pecans, which were all mixed in together. And then what would we put on top? Well, of course, what goes with sweet potatoes? Like miniature marshmallows. Marshmallows. So we would totally, I remember that going into the oven and just anticipating it coming out. The recipe I found calls for miniature marshmallows, but I feel like our mom always used like the full size marshmallows. It would come out and the top would be just like crispy brown. And it was so ooey gooey. Like, how did this pass for a side dish? This is oh, obviously yes. a dessert. It was so sweet. I think that's why I liked it so much because it was so sweet so and so delicious. good. Now, I love this and I have no problem 
making it year after year, but we haven't had it in a while because instead of sweet potatoes, Emily, you introduced to us a delicious mashed potato casserole. I could never be trusted with this. It calls for so many white potatoes. It would be Thanksgiving disaster for sure if I tried to make this, but I want you to tell us about the mashed potato casserole. Where did you find the recipe? When did you start making it? And give us a rundown of what all it entails. So honestly, I started making this, I believe, in college. I don't know if you remember that. It was like definitely in that time frame. Like you were either high school or college, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. I started making it a really long time ago. And honestly, I have probably made it 10 different ways. And I've kind of tweaked it to what I have now. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that like, I am really bad about measurements and recipes, but I'm going to try really hard in our show notes to put together like the exact ingredients that you would need because I'm a lot like your husband and I just throw stuff in. Yeah, if you try to ask Kyle for a recipe, he's like, mm, that's not a thing that I use. <laughs> yeah, right. Let's see. So you boil the potatoes. That's pretty easy. Easy part, boil the potatoes. Before I drain the potatoes, I get a good maybe cup and a half, maybe two cups of potato water, that starchy potato water before I drain them. And that will help liquefy the mashed potatoes and it will prevent them from being gummy. There are a lot of things that I'm going to tell you to prevent your mashed potatoes from turning into like that wallpaper pasty gummy material that no one likes. Please do tell us because is one of the problems that I end up with. If it's not undercooked, then it's totally gross and pasty. So what's the secret? So that's one of the secrets is to save some of the potato water, that starchy potato water before you drain it. Also, any liquid or, well, anything that you add, anything that I add, I heat up before I add it. So what I add to the potatoes are obviously a lot of salt because potatoes need a lot of salt. I add a full package of cream cheese warmed. I add about a cup of warmed sour cream. I add some, and again, I don't know what the measurements are. This is really going to be dependent on like how thick or thin you want your potatoes, but I add anywhere from like, I don't know, a cup to a cup and a half of heavy cream. And that is warmed as well. And so I mix all that in and then I'll add, you know, some of the potato water as well. Now, when I add all this in, it is really soupy. I also add an egg in there as well. And I temper the egg to make sure that the egg doesn't, you know, scramble when I put it in. So I'll put all that in. And now my last secret ingredient that I can't believe that I am saying this out loud but my last secret ingredient is I will add about a tablespoon of dry ranch dressing mix. Aha, just the mix. Just the mix and just a tablespoon of it. And then I will grate probably about a cup and a half of shredded cheese and put that in there and mix it all up. And then I'll put it in a greased baking dish. And bake that. And then about 15, I don't even know how long I bake it for. <laughs> but I can put all of this in the show notes because I'm, you know, I'm just kind of haphazard when I do this. But about 15, 20 minutes before I know I'm going to take it out, I'm going to spread more of that shredded cheddar cheese on top just to give it that nice little pretty look to it. So that's my recipe. I'll tell you what, getting the potato texture just right, I think is what makes a huge difference in this because, you know, a lot of people might have mashed potatoes with their Thanksgiving menu, but there's something about this casserole that's truly magical. You've come to up here to Oklahoma City for a number of Thanksgivings when we've gotten together with Kyle's extended family and you usually bring this dish. Everybody, people in our family, people in Kyle's family, everybody raves about it, asks about it. You know, it's like, it is totally a hit of Thanksgiving. And again, it's like it's mashed potatoes, but it's like mashed potatoes to the whole new level of delicious. 
And I forgot to mention one thing. Another thing to keep it from being gummy is to not use anything electric. Do not use a standing mixer. Do not use an electric hand mixer. I know it is so laborious, but use an actual hand potato masher. I don't even know the science behind it, but when you use an electric mixer, that's going to add to that gummy kind of texture that you don't want. Using just like an old-fashioned potato masher. Yeah, potato masher, yeah. Yeah, to mash it all up takes a little bit more time, but I promise you're going to get those fluffy, fluffy mashed potatoes that everybody likes. All right, you guys, now I'm holding Nico, who has gotten himself the hiccups. So, Oh, dear. He sounds like, oh, you know, dear. everyone's Uncle Roy that had a few too many around the Thanksgiving table, <laughs> and now he's got the old hiccups, so. Bless his heart. It's real life, isn't it, Nico? Okay, yes, well, it is. For sure, another recipe I wanted to mention, I know we're running short on time, but another one I wanted to mention is there is a recipe that we had not only at Thanksgiving, but also at Christmas. It made two appearances in the year. It is called Christmas salad in our family. Yes. That's right, Nico. You cannot wait to have this because I was thinking about our menus growing up, Emily. Obviously, obviously our family was not real big on any kind of real vegetables. Right, right. You know, I don't even know. I think some years we would do that sort of standard French onion topped green bean casserole bake right. maybe but we just did not have a lot of veggies at our holiday <laughs> meals but we had a lot of sugar and this christmas salad is a fantastic example of that a couple of years ago i actually dug up the recipe our aunt barbara had the recipe on hand and i was able to get it from her okay to make this christmas salad why was this called salad <laughs> i don't know <laughs> that's how i'm sure we justified serving it as a side dish because it is absolutely another dessert. So you start by melting butter in the top of a double boiler. And then you add to that four beaten eggs, a tablespoon of sugar. So that part is like not that much sugar, but just wait. <laughs> and then some apple cider vinegar, some milk and some salt. And you basically stir that constantly for two minutes. You remember we would have to like, there's a lot of stirring in this one. And I remember we would like switch out and it was really exciting to get to do Christmas salad because it's so sweet. So you would let that kind of come together in this buttery sauce. And then to that, you would pour in a whole bunch of marshmallows. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Mini marshmallows. And you would just stand there and stir it for like, I don't know, six minutes, 10 minutes, basically until all melted together. It's kind of like you make your own marshmallow cream, right. basically. Right. So once that's done, we would cool it down to room temperature. And then you fold in a cup of whipping cream that has been whipped and fruit, which in the recipe included red grapes that have been sliced, two cans of mandarin oranges, a can of crushed pineapple, a large jar of maraschino cherries. In this recipe I got from our aunt, she said the combined fruit should be about a quart of fruit. And again, this is like the sweetest of sweet fruits we're talking about here. Yes. Yes. So you fold that in and also more marshmallows. <laughs> and then you just refrigerate it and it sets up in the refrigerator as it cools and you have Christmas salad. Now we went for a long time. So we had this a lot growing up, obviously, Thanksgivings and Christmases. Then for a long time, we stopped making it. My mom didn't make it anymore and we hadn't had it for a while. And I dug this recipe up a few years ago. And my kids were like, this is the most magical thing we've ever even heard of. And it's gone around here like that. Like there's no leftovers because again, it's basically a dessert. Yep. Very <laughs> true. So anyway, in retrospect, I'm like, did we even have desserts? I feel like that there were usually some store-bought pies as well for dessert, pumpkin pie, some pecan pie, those types of traditional ones. But another recipe, Emily, that it was not Thanksgiving or Christmas without this was our mom's Christmas punch. What was really interesting and different and really special and unique to us about this punch is that we made it in a percolator. Like who even has percolators anymore? I know. But this particular recipe called for being done in a percolator. So I found the recipe, all recipes, my recipe, the internet is a treasure trove of these classic recipes that we've you know had for forever. 
So I found this recipe and another interesting thing about this, because a lot of like Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, basically holiday punches, a lot of them are apple cider based or they have apple juice in them. For whatever reason, this one doesn't. It's a 64 ounce bottle of unsweetened pineapple juice, a 64 ounce bottle of cranberry juice cocktail, four and a half cups of water. And then guess what? A cup of brown sugar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then this is the part I especially remember too. Whole cloves and whole cinnamon sticks in there. And so we would combine it all together, turn that percolator on, and it would just start to bubble up. And then that smell would go through the whole house. That was the Christmas smell. Absolutely. If someone was making that punch, like... It was just a quintessential Christmas smell. Absolutely. I'm going to totally put a link in the show notes for this particular recipe. You know, even though we don't have percolators now, I bet you could do this in like a crock pot or you could probably even just do it on the stove. The main thing is it does have those whole cloves and cinnamon sticks in it. So you would want to, you know, serve it by straining out some of the strain. Yeah, strain them out. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, this was our look at Thanksgiving then and now. Any other thoughts on Thanksgiving menu or recipe or anything like that, Emily, before we wrap up? No, I think we've covered all the bases. Okay, well, I cannot wait to hear from the awesomes about what were the recipes that really made Thanksgiving for you guys. And if you're, you know, like us and you're willing to go a little non-traditional these days and do something totally different besides the usual turkey dinner. I guess that some people kind of do ham too, I think is a thing sometimes at Thanksgiving. That if you go totally off script and do something wildly different, we would love to hear that too. So Emily, for people who want to find you and talk about Thanksgiving or just food and cooking in general, remind everyone where we can find you all around the web. Well, I am on Instagram at Emily34331. And I'm also active in the Sorta Awesome Hangout group on Facebook. Okay. And just as a reminder, you can find me on social media at Sorta Awesome Meg. You can find the show on Twitter at Sorta Awesome Pod. And you can find us anytime on Facebook at facebook.com slash Sorta Awesome. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone who is celebrating in the week ahead. Thank you for yes. tuning in and listening to our little walk down memory lane. For Thanksgiving, thank you for making us part of your Thanksgiving week preparations and celebrations. So safe travels and happy eating. Totally, yes. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll see y'all next time. Sorta Awesome was created and is hosted by me, Meg Teets. Sarah Robertson is our assistant producer and production collaboration comes from Kelly Gordon and Rebecca Hoffer. Kelly Gordon is our digital media producer and we are so thankful for the ongoing support from our listener supporters. Music is provided by the band Prager. You can find more of Prager's music at pragermusic.com. To find show notes on this and every episode of Sorta Awesome and also to spread the Sorta Awesome love to all of your friends, you can head on over to sortaawesomeshow.com. 